Welcome to Anxious Like You, a podcast hosted by Micheline Malouf and Nadia Adesi, two therapists who are anxious like you. In each episode, Micheline and Nadia dive into their guests' experience with anxiety and give you the tools you need to face your anxiety head on. This podcast is made in collaboration with Dive Through, a mental wellness company. I'm so excited because in this episode, I will be interviewing Nadia. We will be getting to know her a little bit more about what motivates her, what her life was growing up, why she became a therapist. And also she's been very open about her experiences with social anxiety, and we're going to get to know her a little bit better. So let's dive in. If you're not following us on social media yet, be sure to head on over to Instagram and follow at anxious like you. And you can also click on the link in our bio to get your free ultimate guide to anxiety, which Nadia and I worked really hard to get together tons of free tips in there. So make sure you go on there and download. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you take a screenshot and share it on social media and tag us tag at anxious like you. You can tag Nadia at Evolve and Bloom and Micheline at Serene Micheline. That way we know you're listening and we would love to see what you're thinking about our episodes. So let's dive right in. Okay, Nadia. So let me start with the first question. What motivated you or what got you to become a therapist? Okay. So I never all thought that I would get into social work or get into therapy from a young age. The goal was always to become a lawyer. My older sister is a doctor. My oldest sister is in business. So I was always told I was going to do something along those lines of a very kind of successful businesswoman. And I believed it and I liked it. I took those tests in grade 11 and it was always telling me that I would be a lawyer. So I just followed the path that I thought was perfect for me. I applied to um, one specific university for both journalism and law. And I applied to social work just to see if I would get accepted and just to have that option. But I knew at the end of the day, if I got accepted into the law program, that's what I would take. And I ended up getting accepted. I spent about three years, maybe three and a half years in the program. Absolutely hated it. Was not motivated, did not care about the information that I was studying and learning. And then one day I was like, no, this just isn't for me. I was scared to have the conversation with my parents because like I said, very kind of conservative business driven family. But I ended up telling them they did support me. They were just a little bit disappointed in the fact that I would be three years behind now from everybody else and in my life. But I think it was a mistake that I had to make in order to figure out what I really wanted to do. So I applied to Ryerson University's social work program, and it comes from a very anti-oppressive framework. And growing up in a conservative family in a town where everyone kind of thinks the same. I went to a Catholic high school, Catholic elementary school. My mindset was nowhere where it is today. And that program just like took me by surprise, made me unlearn everything that I knew about everything and everyone in every different population. And right when I was in it, I was like, yep, this is for me. I love it. I had two internships. First internship was um, with adults with disabilities. And that was actually the path that I thought that I wanted to take. I loved it but knew it wasn't for me quickly after enrolling into that. And then the second internship I had was with at-risk and homeless youth. Absolutely loved it. It was more of social worker case management position. 
And then one day I was just driving my friend to school because I would drive her every Monday and she would always talk to me about what was going on in her life. And she just turned to me and she was like, you know what, you're a really good listener. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but you never have the desire to talk about yourself and you always are just so like actively listening to me and paying attention and giving me advice. This is something you should think about for your future. And that's when it clicked. I was like, okay, I think I want to be a therapist. Thank you for that. It wasn't until she said that, that I realized maybe this is a good path for me. Wow. So it's it's such a shift that you talk about because, you know, law school and, you know, fighting for people's rights. And I, I mean, I guess that kind of goes in with the advocacy program that you also have too. It's like, it's almost like you want justice, but right. But like the fact that it didn't even cross your mind that you're a good listener and that, you know, this would be something that you were interested in um, until she said that is, is pretty, it's pretty cool. So how do you, does she go from saying, you know, you're a really, really good listener and you never really talk about yourself and you, you know, just always give me really good advice to you having that like aha moment of therapy. You know what? I actually remember it perfectly driving on the highway. She's beside me in the passenger seat. She was dating my fiance's cousin. And, you know, it was always something that she would speak about on the way. And I I honestly remember the story she was telling me perfectly just because it was such a big moment in my life. And this is something I still probably have to thank her for. I mentioned it in past like a couple of times, but never specifically like, hey, you're the reason where that I am where I am today. Um, but yeah, I just remember it so perfectly and then driving and she even mentioned you should think about that for your career. So it was kind of like she put it in my head, but it was also such a big aha moment of, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. I always was passionate about social work, working with people, advocating for people. And it just made so much sense. Right. Yeah, that, that's impressive because you're so successful at what you do now and obviously have your own um, wellness center in Toronto called Evolve and Bloom. And you, you know, own and operate it and you have therapists under under you and you also have dietitians. So it's it's not just like I'm just successful working like you are a powerhouse in this field. Thank you. I'm extremely passionate about it for sure. Yeah, you can certainly tell. And I think that's where, you know, where it's at. It's like you have passion, you love it. And that's why you were so good at it. It just was a natural, a natural thing for you, right? Yeah, it feels natural. I mean, at the beginning, there's always that stress of, is this actually what I want to do? Am I going to be good at this? And then you have your first therapy session and it is the scariest thing in the whole world. And you're second guessing every single thing that went on during that one hour. But after you push through that, at least Mm -hmm. my experience anyways, it was, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. I'm in the right field, made the right choice. And you talked about having to unlearn a lot of like, the things that you had learned growing up because you lived in such a conservative uh, community. Maybe everybody thought the same as what you said. And then you ended up at an anti-oppression university or program. Yes. And having to unlearn that, how did that play out? At the beginning, I was very defensive about my upbringing and what I knew and what I learned from such a young age. Like I said, going to Catholic school, being driven by religion, very business oriented family. So it was more like I was listening to the professors or I was listening to the students and a lot of them were catching on to things quicker than I was because I was not ready to accept what I needed to learn or unlearn. So in terms of LGBTQ, indigenous, um, people of color, 
black people, everything. It was very like, I was very on edge, very defensive, not recognizing my privilege as like a white, able-bodied Catholic girl living in society. And it wasn't until I think my second year, I remember one specific prof just completely changed my outlook on everything. And that's when I was like, okay, it's really time to deconstruct. It's really time to look at my beliefs in each of these different areas and recognize where they're stemming from and what I truly believe in, what I truly think. So it was a long work in process. I don't think that's something that's very easy, especially if you're like me and you're somebody who is coming from a conservative Catholic household, Catholic community, goes to church, grew up just kind of with people who think the same way as you. So you're really programmed to believe that. But yeah, it changed my life and it changed my mindset on every single thing. How did that professor play a role in, you know, helping you break those walls down? To start off, I'll never forget the first exercise he made us do. So first year was very introduction. So it wasn't too much challenging what my thinking was. I was still a little bit defensive. So maybe I just wasn't ready to accept that. It wasn't until second year when we got really deep into society and learning about things. And it was just everybody write on a piece of paper why you're here. And then don't write your name, don't sign it, throw it around the room. And then somebody else pick up another student's piece of paper and read it out loud. And that my, the reason I was there, I think originally was, uh, it, it was something so trivial. It wasn't even anything deep. It was just like to get a job after university or to work in this field. And other people were like breaking down the system, advocating for LGBTQ. And I was like, whoa, like what a big wake up call. And it was just so nice seeing so many different people in the program for so many different reasons but at the end of the day kind of sharing the same goal of learning that anti-oppression and helping others do the same as well so that was like the biggest wake-up call for me and then on top of that he made us do an assignment where we had to pick something outside of who we are so I couldn't I had to pick something art-based or a TV show or a movie, something where injustice was there, but it wasn't injustice about like a woman or it wasn't injustice about somebody of your race, of your gender, whatever it may be. So I picked like this song. I don't even know this song. You know, the Jay-Z song where he talks about getting um, pulled over just for being black. And um, that's what I picked because I was like, okay, black men in society, please. I'm hearing a lot about this. I don't know about this enough. And I wrote a whole paper on it. I did a bunch of research and it was the first A I ever got in the program. And I was like, okay, I am ready to unlearn. I feel like this has made such a big shift. And ever since then, things have been changing. I'm still unlearning every single day. I feel like it's an ongoing process and something you need to do throughout your whole life. But just that one year with that professor made the biggest shift in my life. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. It's not something that you just stop. Like you just, oh, I've arrived and now I've learned and I'm different. I think that's when you get into trouble. Yeah. Um, so the <laughs> fact that you recognize that, hey, I have to continue to learn and unlearn um, is huge, you know, especially with the profession that we we're in. I was just going to say, if you are in the therapy profession, part of your work is being anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-ableist, everything. Like you need to unlearn, you need to have that education or I don't want to offend anybody, but you're not going to be successful at your job or you're not going to be able to show up for the clients that in the way that they need you to. Or you continue to oppress them and hurt them because a lot of, you know, clients that we see are part of that, you know, oppressed 
clients or, you know, going through challenges because of the system. And so if we go in and choose to have our blinders on and say, no, this doesn't impact me, therefore it doesn't impact my clients, then you're not really helping and you're possibly even feeding into their trauma and their pain. Absolutely. But like I said before, that is something that takes time. And if you are in your social work program and you are in your psych program and you're listening to this and you're thinking, I didn't unlearn all this stuff yet. I don't know. It's a process. You are going to get there. You don't have to go from zero to a hundred right away. I remember when I was working in that um, uh, placement program, I told you with at risk and homeless youth, if I were to go back in that program and work today with what I know now, I would be a completely different social worker or case management for those kids. At that time, it was very like, oh, how did they get addicted? Oh, oh, maybe it's their fault that they're homeless. Or just same thing of me really not being ready to completely unlearn based on the community that I grew up in. So if you're out there and you're freaking out listening to this, it is an ongoing process. You will get there as long as you are open to it and recognize that it's somewhere you need to be. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's definitely not something that you just have to say, oh, snap out of it. It's not a snapping issue. It's it's an ongoing work in progress. So yeah, and part of that, that, sorry, part of that is questioning your every move. That's what I did in my placement at the beginning. So when I was either working with adults with disabilities, but I found it more when I was doing case management with youth, it was before I I said anything, it was, okay, where is this coming from? What place is this coming from? Is there judgment? Is there bias? Or is it coming from a place of complete curiosity for the client? Yeah. And how did that play out with your family? (laughs) Okay, so... I love my family to death. I always talk about like I came from an extremely emotionally available family. My parents always validated feelings, validated emotions. There was like a little bit of a, okay, you're going into social work. How are you going to make money? There's no money in social work. It's very important. I know it's very important to my parents. I watched their struggle from literally coming to nothing to being very successful. So I admire them. Um, But it was a lot of pressure of you were going to be a lawyer. Now you're going to be a social worker. That's a big difference, especially in terms of lifestyle and salary. So it was more pushing of, okay, if you're going to social work, you got to get your master's. If you're getting your master's, you got to get your PhD. You got to go as far as you can and get as much money as you can. Whereas my whole thing was, I just want to make a change and do something I'm passionate about. So it was kind of that extreme. Um, Also, like I said, business-oriented Catholic community and household, as you can imagine, there are endless debates. Endless debates between me and my dad, endless debates between me and my fiance, uh, me and my brother-in-laws, sometimes even me and my sister's. So yeah, just just um, just it's shifted the thinking and the way you have conversations with people around you, people in the community, and just, you know, with those conversations, hoping to instill change. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Now, speaking of, uh, you mentioned you have a lot of anxiety. You talk about your anxiety in your TikTok videos, on your Instagram. Uh, There was a video you posted once uh, saying, I can help you with anxiety because I have anxiety. I can do that. I can uh, teach you about this because I have this and, and I'm a therapist. And so I can, I know that people relate to that a lot. Um, And most people I feel are really open to having a therapist with anxiety. (laughs) 
Um, and obviously some people don't understand how that works, but I wanted to ask you about your own personal struggle with anxiety, um, and how that's affected you growing up and even on your journey to become a therapist. Yeah. So I struggle with generalized anxiety, social anxiety, health anxiety, health anxiety. used to be very bad growing up. That's something that is not there as much anymore. Like it still comes and goes, but that's something that I'm able to work through. Still, sometimes if I see like a random spot on my hand or something, my immediate thought is, oh my God, let's go on the internet and see what I'm dying of. But that's that's gone away. That reassurance and that internet WebMD is not there as much, but I have had anxiety probably for as long as I can remember. I would say from when I was like in elementary school starting, no, I would say in elementary school, probably grade seven or grade eight is when I would notice, oh my God, I get so nervous in social situations or I get so nervous talking to people I don't know or showing up to parties or talking to adults. That was a big one when I was younger. It caused me so much stress. Um, so that was always a constant struggle. Also just generalized anxiety in terms of I'm going to fail. I'm not good enough. Tests, presentations, hand sweating, panic attacks, mm-hmm. nause- nauseous. So yeah, definitely something I struggled with for a long time. God help for that when I finally was old enough to recognize like, hey, you are struggling with something. It's not completely normal to be feeling this way. So why don't we reach out to somebody and get support? Did go to a therapist for it. Obviously started with the health anxiety. Usually I find with health anxiety and social anxiety, those things are a little bit easier to work on um, with a therapist in cognitive behavioral therapy. So it was very exposure therapy for my health anxiety, which was very helpful. Um, Social anxiety, still there. Still, (laughs) definitely still there. Has improved I would say because of social media and because of me pushing myself to be in front of a camera, to go on different TV shows, um, speak to different news reporters and just put myself out there. I think that was probably the biggest thing that helped. Um, But yeah, overall general anxiety is there. I do think it helps me in my practice because when somebody is talking to me about any of these forms of anxiety, I truly, truly get it. I know what they're going through. I can relate to them on that level. And I make sure they know that as well, obviously without disclosing too much and reading the room. Um, So I think that's something that a lot of my clients like because they know they're not alone in that. And they know that they're working with somebody who has worked on themselves or with another professional to work through that. Um, But it never really held me back from doing what I wanted to do. It definitely hindered some opportunities, you know, with interviews. Sometimes I would just self-sabotage, not even show up because of my anxiety, Um, especially in like third or fourth year university when I was interviewing for different placement opportunities. But I don't think it has affected me any way where I am today. I think if anything, it has helped me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting how, you know, therapy can really change a lot with the exposure and, you know, getting the right help and getting the right treatment can really like shape your life. But also you mentioned it being a strength, like you said, self-disclose, self-disclosing in therapy sometimes, but with reading the room, like you mentioned, uh, obviously uh, is really helpful because it just helps the client feel a little bit less alone. And given the amount of success that you've had and the fact that you are putting yourself out there on social media for somebody who has social anxiety <laughs> is huge. And it's like, okay, if she can do it, then, then I can do it. 
Right. I guess that's another perspective I didn't think of, especially in terms of working with people who have similar struggles as I do. It's almost like inspiring, I guess, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So inspiring. And I've even noticed a change in you from the beginning of when you posted your first TikTok video versus now. And like, it's almost like we saw you grow on TikTok, not only in numbers, but also within your own social anxiety. I don't know if do you ever watch those old videos and I'm so excited to share that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And as anxious like you listeners, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash like you. As a therapist who struggles with anxiety, I know how important it is to go to therapy. I've been going to therapy for a long time, even as a therapist. My personal healing work does not stop. BetterHelp makes going to therapy easy with with its fully online services. You can chat with a therapist through video, phone, or text. You can schedule your sessions when they're convenient for you. I love that they offer the phone and chat options because let's face it, sometimes even talking is too overwhelming. And having the text option with your therapist can make the difference between attending or missing session. Therapy is more than just a place to talk and vent. It's a place where you go to gain insight into your challenges, develop skills to help you manage symptoms, and do the deeper work to help you process past hurts and live a more fulfilling life. So if you're still on the fence about starting therapy, take advantage of this 10% off and check them out at betterhelp.com forward slash like you. That's better, H-E-L-P.com forward slash like you. Oh my gosh. That's so funny you say that. When I first started filming TikToks, I would send them to like two of my closest friends and they would be like, why are you changing your voice? What are you like? That is not you. What are you doing? And I think it was just stress taking over, changing me, me feeling like I had to pretend to be somebody that I wasn't. And now as the TikTok following grew and people got to know me for me, I feel like it's just easier to be myself. I'm more relatable that way. But yeah, it is almost like watching yourself grow up in a year. Um, I I truly believe that TikTok and social media has pushed me to improve myself overall, help with my anxiety and just learn more both about myself and my practice and what I want to do. Yeah. And you've grown from, obviously you started your TikTok account early 2020 and you've grown to 3 million followers on TikTok. How does somebody with anxiety handle that level of growth? that quickly. It's so funny because when you start off with social media or TikTok and you have those goals for yourself of, I'm going to help as many people as I can. I'm going to reach out to the most amount of people who need it. And I can't wait. And I just want this information to be spread everywhere to everybody. I want my face everywhere. And then when it's happening, you're like, oh, no, no, take that back. I don't want this. Let me go hide in a corner and not deal with this. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was gradually growing slowly, which I was able to deal with because that's what came with it. As videos would be posted, I would get more followers, lose followers, whatever it would be. And then one day I had an extremely viral TikTok that I didn't expect to go that viral. And I gained almost 2 million followers from it in about a week. And I don't want to come off in any way ungrateful. I'm so grateful, but it was so overwhelming. It was like, At first, when I hit a million, I was so excited, dancing around my house. My sisters were videotaping me, like buying me balloons. It was really fun. And then in a couple of days, it was at 2 million. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I think it got to like 2.5 million. And I was happy, grateful. I was 
thinking, oh my gosh, all these people want support from me, want help from me. I have such big shoes to fill now because the video that I posted was promising. Come to my page and I'll help you with anxiety and motivation and procrastination and depression. And then after I posted that, I was like, okay, now I have 2.5 million people that I need to help with anxiety and depression and motivation and procrastination. And it was it was a lot. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to hide for two weeks. So that's what I did. <laughs> I got off TikTok. I couldn't even go on the app. It was stressing me out so much of like the posts and the comments and even big names and big celebrities following me and me thinking, okay, now on top of people just like me help, like me helping them out, I have to help out these big celebrities and now they have expectations of me. And then on the other side, I was like, what are you doing? Be grateful for this. This is what you wanted. This is on you. This is a great opportunity. And it was just this constant battle. And that's when I decided, okay, let's hide out for two weeks. I decided not to go on TikTok, not to really go on social media that much, just take a break. And then finally, I was like, okay, let's see what happens. Let's post another video. Let's see if people appreciate it, if there's going to be any trolls, any haters. And I posted a video and it was such inspiring um, feedback. It was really, really nice. And it was kind of just a reminder of this is why you're doing it. You made the right choice. Yes, your following is a little bit bigger now, but you've been providing this information for a couple of months. Just keep doing the same thing. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. So it's, you feel as overwhelmed now, or do you feel like it's kind of like gotten a little bit better? It's definitely gotten better. I don't think I feel as overwhelmed anymore. I think I'm okay with TikTok. I mean, sometimes when a video is going viral, it just gets really overwhelming and responding to the comments and making sure people receive your message in the right way. And you didn't say the wrong thing and didn't do the wrong thing. Um, But I'm adjusting and I think I'm adjusting in a good way that now I see it more as something that I really enjoy doing and like that beginning goal is still there of trying to help the most people and reach out to the most people and just spread messages that will make people feel not alone. So yeah. Yeah, you have such an inspiring message. I love all of your videos. And, you know, you're just so good at communicating the point of the video and, you know, just being relatable about it it's not like coming off in any condescending way or like I know more than you so it's I can see why so many people would love you and want to you know learn from you um also you mentioned like all of the anxiety and the thought processing that was happening as you were growing so like oh my gosh now I have these big shoes to fill now I have celebrities I have to help them so like I heard I have to help them (laughs) I have to like I am now responsible for three million people it's probably what you were thinking in your own mind I was thinking I'm responsible for their mental well-being right now and like okay not to come off cocky in any way and thinking it's all on me and I'm responsible. That's not the point I'm trying to come across. It was more like, I need to help these people. How can I help them? Yeah. Yeah. They, they came to your page. They saw you, they were like, she can help us. (laughs) And so now you felt that responsibility of not even, Oh, go to therapy. Not even just a little psycho ed between therapy sessions. Like, no, these people I am now responsible for their mental health (laughs) well-being. So extreme, but absolutely. And that's what it's like to have anxiety. (laughs) Welcome to anxiety. Yeah. Anxious like you. See, this is, this is exactly why we're doing this. Yeah. You know, Um, talking about it right now, like my palms are sweating. My face is getting really red. If you watch the video. Yeah. Yeah. Just like going back into that time when I was super anxious is causing me to be anxious again. Mm -hmm. Do you find that, 
you know, obviously we've talked about in the past on your, on your videos, I've heard you talk about like the harmful effects of social media as well. And, um, do you feel like it's gotten to that point with you at all ever? Have you ever felt like, okay, this is too much. It's impacting my emotional or mental health well-being, or do you find a good balance in your life with it? So when I first started, it was when we first went into quarantine. So it was my whole life. I just started my private practice. So it wasn't extremely busy. I had a lot of free time. It wasn't like I can go, you know, to different places, hand out my business cards, get clients, call clients. Everyone was going through their own thing. So yeah, it became my life. I was making three videos a day, probably spending hours making these videos. And then it became really overwhelming. And it wasn't until I decided, no, this is a form of self-care for me. And I'm going to be in control of how much I'm posting, when I'm posting, instead of answering the excessive messages, responding to hate comments, having people being like, when's the next video? When are you going on live? You didn't go on live next week. I was like, I need to take control of this. I need to set personal boundaries of what works for me so it doesn't become so much like a chore and doesn't become so much like a job. And it's something that I'm still passionate about and still enjoy. So at the beginning, I think was when it was the worst of when it was impacting my day to day because it was my whole day, but I learned slowly how to adjust and how to set boundaries. So it hasn't had that negative impact. What I will say is people are mean. (laughs) People are definitely mean. Um, And that also at the beginning and still does, I'm not going to pretend like those comments don't impact me. I've learned not to respond and not to, you know, give the people a response, especially when a lot of the hate comments are about things that have nothing to do with the video when they're about your looks, when they're about the way you talk. In one video, I said frustration instead of frustration. And I would say 50% of the comment section is people being like, oh, cringe, I can't watch this. She doesn't know how to speak. She's a therapist. She can't even say her words right. Also, I just always thought it was frustration. And it wasn't until I saw those comments that I was like, okay, I'm saying this word wrong. But it was hard to deal with the trolls and deal with the mean comments and deal with the mean people. And it still is, but I think I'm learning as I go how to kind of block them out and not give in to the urge to fight them back or to even just educate them on certain things. Yeah. I think it's, it's really painful. And I don't think a lot of people that don't post things on social media really understand like what that could be like, because you're literally doing this on your free time. This isn't something you get paid for. Um, This is something you do to educate and to have um, people be mean or rude. And especially when it's not even just disagreeing with the video, it's more about just something you said or the way you look or whatever, just, you know, a spelling error, even, you know, (laughs) always a spelling error. Mm -hmm. And then to say, oh, well, you're not credible. I can't trust you because of that. Um, Having anxiety, even somebody who doesn't have anxiety would be very anxious and um, upset possibly by these comments. Do you find that it it impacted you a lot more back then? And then, or or does it still impact you when you see them, but you choose not to respond? Because I know you don't respond as much anymore, but does it still give you that initial like pain or gut reaction? 
Absolutely. It still gives me the initial reaction. Um, like I said, I'm very shy, but I'm very vocal and will speak my mind when it's something passionate to me. So when I see somebody attacking things that I take personal or that I hold a lot of importance to, it's really hard for me not to fight back. I choose my battles now. There's some that I'm like, no, I can't let this go. This is not okay. This person needs to know it's not okay. Or sometimes it's maybe this person is hurting. Let me just educate them a little bit more. Maybe it's something that they need to work on. It really depends. What I found has been impacting my anxiety the most is with my title, my college, my regulatory body says that we can only share information that is very evidence-based and proven. So if we're sharing information on social media, it needs to be correct information. And that's when I get nervous because I do my research before all my videos. I make sure there's credible sources and credible studies, but there's always people that are there discrediting me saying, you know, this isn't true. There's no real studies behind psychology and just people really making me second guess myself in my videos. And I think that is a lot of my anxiety, but also me trying to protect my professional title, which also gives me anxiety because obviously that's not something I would ever want to lose. Um, so I think yes, hate comments and trolls stress me out, but the most stress is coming from people saying like, oh, where's this credit from or show this source or this source is from 2005. And there's been studies from then. And then immediately I'm just like, I need to delete these videos because I can't be giving false information out. I don't want my license to be on the line. And I think the same thing comes from sponsorships and promotions with different things on our social media. If it's not evidence-based or if it's not something that I'm able to share based on personal opinion, I can't share it. So it's just being very careful with that, which gives me the most anxiety for sure. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you did mention at the beginning of this interview that with your anxiety, you sought therapy and obviously now you're a therapist. So <laughs> can you talk about like a tip or something that really helps you get through your day when you're feeling really anxious or something you want our listeners to hear that might help them in terms yeah. of anxiety? So if you are struggling, I have two tips. I'll talk about a tip for health anxiety and a tip for social anxiety. Um, the tip for health anxiety is very cognitive behavioral based. Like I said, that was what helped me in cognitive behavioral therapy. We believe that your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors are connected. So if you work towards changing one, you'll be able to alter the other ones as well. So if you are dealing with health anxiety, it's really asking yourself, where is the proof of this? Is there facts to go against this? Is there evidence to go against this as well um, or for this? And then what's a more realistic thought I can have? And this is something you need to practice every time that health anxiety is coming. Um, also with health anxiety is stop seeking reassurance. Stop seeking reassurance from your family, from your friends, from the internet. That is only enabling the anxiety and making it worse. You need to learn to work through these things on your own. Of course, if it's an emergency, contact your doctor. That is something that I am not telling you not to do, not kind of be liable for anything here. Um, but if you have health anxiety similar to me, cognitive behavioral therapy is very effective. You are able to do exposure therapy where if it's really bad, then you limit the amount of times that you're going on the internet or you limit the reassurance you're getting from other people up until you're ready to kind of take that on yourself. For social anxiety, I always, this is one thing that literally helps me every time. Like I'll get social anxiety going into the mall. I'll get social anxiety going into a wedding, a party. This is pre-pandemic. Um, and the one thing I always tell myself, and it's of course easier to 
easier said than done, but it's literally nobody cares about you. Nobody in the mall that you don't know cares about you. Everybody is so focused on what they're doing in their life right now. And if you look around, you'll see, you'll see the moms paying attention to their kids or the people on their cell phone, the teenagers joking around. Nobody cares about you as much as you think. And it's actually called the spotlight effect when you do think people care about you more than you think. And just like the way you're really preoccupied in your own life and what you're experiencing, everyone else is doing the same thing. So just kind of trying to shift that mindset and remember that you care about you more than anyone else. I love that. Yeah, the spotlight effect is really, really good. It's funny when you say it that way. It's like nobody cares about you. But it's not it's not in that mean way. But it's in that like, everyone's really like, just really focused on themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in our PDF, we have that thought challenging worksheet that we put. So if you guys haven't signed up for our um, PDF, make sure you do so um, through our social media, there's a link. And you can get that thought challenging uh, worksheet. So you can go through the process Nadia was just talking about with the, you know, finding the alternative thoughts and kind of like recognizing and, and going into that, um, you know, changing the thoughts or the behaviors in order to, to impact the rest, right? Exactly. Yeah, obviously not a one size fits all. What works for some won't work for someone else. So don't come at us if it doesn't necessarily work <laughs> for you. Also, everything takes practice and everything takes time. So Mm -hmm. if it's something that you're thinking about working on, give it some time. Right. 100%. It's definitely, there's a lot of reasons why certain treatments won't work for certain people. So just um, like try it on for size and if it doesn't fit, hopefully we can give you other tips throughout our episodes, through our episodes, through our social media to help you maybe find something that does work. Exactly. How have you been managing your own anxiety? As you mentioned, pre-pandemic, you still had social anxiety. Now we're going through a pandemic. There's a lot going on and health anxiety. So you have not only social, you had health anxiety. And given that, you know, the pandemic, coronavirus, how have you been managing your own anxiety with all of these extra factors in our world? It is not easy. And I'm sure a lot of people out there can relate to me when thinking about how the pandemic has impacted your mental health, probably in extreme way like me, especially for somebody who has health anxiety. I mean, social anxiety has been a little bit on a pause because I'm not really in many social situations other than through Zoom, which still caused me anxiety, but not as bad because I can be in my pajamas and I can just press end if I ever need to. So I can just escape that very quickly. And just knowing that in the back of my mind gives me some comfort. (laughs) And I always do the same thing, like before important Zoom calls or things that I'm getting really nervous about. I'm like, yeah, but I could just leave at any time I can leave. So just knowing that I have control over that situation eases my anxiety. Um, But it hasn't been easy, especially my mom is at very high risk. And so my health anxiety is not always about me. It's always also about people that I love. And my mind automatically going to the worst places for them as well. Same thing with using the internet and seeking reassurance. It's really nice having a sister who's a doctor because when something happens, it's immediately, which I'm not promoting, which isn't the best thing, which is seeking reassurance, (laughs) but it's also just like, Hey, can you tell me what this means? Or like elaborate a little bit on this, but coronavirus has been difficult in terms of my mom's health. Um, also my grandmother who has diabetes, who I'm not able to see, who, you know, makes me sad for because she's by herself, but just doing 
therapy, number one, (laughs) maintaining therapy. If it's accessible to you, if you have the resources, therapy through the pandemic is very helpful. Even just having someone to talk to, if you're feeling really alone, if it's not necessarily something that you are ready to work on or have to work on, just having that connection with somebody who is coming from a space of no judgment there to listen to you. So that's been helpful. Also just the basics, getting outside when I can, social connection with friends and family, being preventative when I know something's going to cause me anxiety. How am I going to calm myself down? How am I going to calm down my nervous system? Am I going to do progressive muscle relaxation, which we also have in our PDF? Um, Am I going to meditate? Am I going to challenge my thoughts? Whatever it may be, it really depends on the situation, but I'm using the coping tools that I have more than ever. That's for sure. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that the coping tools in a box, like imagine it in a box and just like, which one am I going to use today? Because exactly, <laughs> you have to see which one works for that time frame, right? Like one day it could work the next day. You might need to try something completely different. So exactly. Absolutely. yeah, but it's good that you had that um, toolbox to, to turn to, and hopefully we can get past this pandemic very quickly and get back to normal life a little bit. <laughs> So, um, is there, before we end this episode, is there anything that you would like our audience to know about you or therapy or an inspirational quote or anything that comes to mind that is important? I think what I get a lot, a lot of comments that I get, and I never typically respond, but I think it's important for people to know is a lot of people saying, I have anxiety, um, but I want to be a therapist. I have depression, but I want to work in social work, or I want to be a psychologist, or I want to work in a field that helps other people, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And it doesn't have to stop you. And it's not a reason for you not to do what you're passionate about. And I'm somebody who has experienced that firsthand. Social anxiety and going into situations with interviews or working with groups of people or working with, you know, people that I've never worked with in the past in different populations. Yes, it's very anxiety provoking, but if it's something you're passionate about, you will find a way and it is possible to continue and do it. 100%. I second that. Well, thank you so much for being so open and talking about, you know, things that are a little bit uncomfortable (laughs) in terms of anxiety and, you know, your insecurities as you grew on TikTok. It's all been very helpful and I'm sure people will find that really valuable. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join the Anxious Like You community by following at Anxious Like You on Instagram. See you in the next episode.